Hi, everybody. Thank you so much and welcome to our Jewish Executive Leadership Series, but also welcome to the, uh, the Schmooze. Um, we're joined today by David Rubin of New York Times. David, if you can tell us about yourself, uh, we'd love to hear it. Give us your bio in a few minutes or less. Um, great. Uh, I'm David Rubin. Um, I'm the Chief Marketing and Communications Officer at the New York Times. I've been there since April of 2016, so coming up on seven years. Um, prior to the Times, um, I worked at Pinterest for a couple of years. Uh, and prior to that, I spent uh, about a dozen, 15 years, 16 years at um, Unilever, the consumer products giant, where I really did two things. One was I brought Axe body spray to the United States. So you have me to thank for that. Um, Axe body spray is really important and helpful. And we can certainly talk about that. Um, although that, you know, I'm sure when you saw your first Axe body spray ad, you thought that person would go on to be the first CMO in New York Times history. So we can <laughs> talk about the through line there. Um, and the second thing I did was um, uh, after I did Axe for a while, uh, I ran their hair care division for the US. So and did a, a turnaround there uh, where they went from one of their worst performing divisions to um, taking over share leadership for the first time in 40 years. So amazing. That's okay, the just getting right into it. What is your biggest challenge currently being the chief marketing officer of the New York Times? Like, what do you what are you being faced with on a daily basis that's keeping you up at night? Yeah, well, you know, look, um, I, our job is to get people to buy um, subscriptions for you know the digital product. And you know, the fundamental issue you have in news is first of all, we've got a tough business that's you know a lot of folks are really struggling across the industry. Um, we're doing well, um, but you know that's hard earned. Um, and, the, you know, the real challenge is, is that you've got hundreds of millions of people who read digital news every day and a very small fraction, tens of millions who pay for it. Um, so even though the Times far outpaces anybody, uh, you know, with 9 million plus subscribers, um, we still have 15 times that reading us every day. So imagine any other business where half of America might come on in a period of time one in 15 of them paid for that product. Um, it's almost impossible to imagine that they'd be able to survive. Um, and so the fact that we are is really, you know, both exciting and energizing, but also, you know, the, how, do you, how do you grow the category? David, so if, you, if you could rewind for a second to when you came into this position, coming over from Unilever, where you, you really had some amazing products that you brought to market, um, which you're so proud of, and you're looking at the times and you're probably like, how am I gonna market this? How am I going to monetize this? What's going through your mind? Um, well, so we were just talking about this a little bit um, there is like some of the things that the consumer product mindset brought to me, you know, or helped me it is the idea of um, thinking of this as a category growth story. You know, the New York Times has been around 170 some years It's e and news has been around for 300, right? So it's really easy to think of um, this as a really mature business. Um, and where the competition is the other big national and global publications that you can think of. And instead, you know, I really think of it as trying to grow a, a new category. The reality is our competition is not the other folks who do exactly what we do. Our competition is free. If you don't see what the New York Times does as being much better than free news sources or what you can get on your, you know, on your, on your platform um, through social media, you'd be crazy to pay for it. 
right? And so we've got to, you know, competing with a dollar is really hard. Competing with three is like impossible, right? And so that's the thing that we've got to really earn people and, you know, their trust and say, why should I pay for this? Um, now, fortunately, we've hit a part, you know, of the world at the moment where I think people are realizing that it's really hard to find out what's going on in the world. And it's really hard to trust you know, your news source and what's coming in. And so look, it's not that surprising. You get what you pay for. We all know that axiom and most people don't pay for the news. So if you can get them to stop, slow down and think about that, they tend to think differently, but it's obviously hard to get people to do that. And I guess like, I think Summer Redstone coined the, con coined the term content is king. So I guess what, what you were thinking when you were coming in is content is king, but everyone's got content. You're trying to have really, really quality content so people will pay for it. Well, that's right. And that's why, like, you know, the New York Times' story, the, the the success story is from the fact that the Times, you know, first and foremost says, are we investing in our newsroom and are we making the best content in the news industry in the world? And um, so when the Times was in really hard times coming out of the financial crisis, 0809 and almost went bankrupt, um, you know, the, the fateful decision was made to cut everything else and to protect as much of the newsroom as we could while a lot of, a lot of other places slashed the newsrooms. And that decision in the end has paid off, but it took a decade, you know, and it's created the foundation from which we're able to make the best news on the planet. And that makes all the difference. Right. You know, as we saw today in the news, it was out that Rupert Murdoch had admitted that they unfortunately went for the sensationalist news and they allowed um, the Trump election fraud to get out there on Fox, even though they all didn't believe it. And I guess sometimes we're, you know, the media must be under so much pressure to go for the sensationalist uh, road to take instead of the high road, which is giving us real content. I mean, does the Times also grapple with that at times? And they must, right? I Look, the, the thing I'll say is the um, one of the biggest challenges we have is this concept of the media. Like television news has anything to do with digital and print news, you know, and that that all news sources are sort of pretty similar. This kind of concept is really not the case. You know, a lot of what you get in TV is intended to be opinion, um, not always labeled as such. Um, and we do have opinion, but it's a very, it's always labeled and it's a very small part of what we do. And so I, I just think the idea that, that you can sort of compare apples and oranges, it's all got its purposes. At the times, we really work super hard to, we, we print, you know, we, our journalists follow the news, you know, follow the truth wherever it leads. We'll print stuff that doesn't fit whatever the journalist started trying to find out if that's what the truth is, you know, stuff that doesn't fit a perception of a narrative. Like that's, if it's, if it's newsworthy and if it happened, we're going to write about it. And um, that's what you count on from us. One of the things people will, will say who really love the times is the thing that makes the time that I really, the reason I stay with the times and why I love it is it introduced me to something I didn't know was true or something I didn't know I cared about. And so if you think about how we think about marketing in the context of like a Unilever consumer product, you know, figure out what the customer wants and give it to them. Our customers literally saying, don't give me what I want, you know, is literally saying, teach me something I, I didn't know I cared about. Show me where my passions are show me that what really happened and that's what our promise is and sometimes that's inconvenient um but it pays off in the long term david i actually read an article in the new york times i'm an avid reader 
um, Thank you. that, you know, just in, in Russia today, how much they are have, have quashed the free press in the last year. And, um, and it's, it's, it was amazing to me, it was eye-opening to me to see, I, it's kind of hard to, to, to understand how in 2023, there are still our countries that are doing this, even though there is free internet. And how much does, how much does, does the, the, the free press, the risk of, of losing the free press worry you in certain countries and cultures? Um, look, I mean, we'll talk about it just about anywhere. I mean, all of the big global, you know, um, nonprofit studies that are done show a couple of things, um, show um, that attacks on press freedom are as high as they've been in since these studies are done. Trust in the news all over the world is declining. Um, it's even true in places like here. Um, we do see, you know, obviously um, domestic journalists face different kinds of challenges, but the, the, the thinking of, you know, the, the idea that an independent press is a critical asset to, you know, to a democracy and a critical ingredient even, um, you know, protecting that is so important to us. Um, uh, and it's really, you know, it's not even that it's important to us from a times perspective, it's just important to us because we think it's important to society. From a human, from a human perspective, what do you think is the number one deterrent against free press these days? I mean, it could it be the the pen of the of the the blogger, you know, like the, who has become ever more powerful? Like, what, what do you think it is? I look. I think ultimately, what we need is. Um, I think there are a lot of factors, to be honest. You know, the how we consume our news, how we get our entertainment, how we get our information. Um, you know the the democratization that's been created by by this and by social media. Um, there's lots of things. The good news, you know, the encouraging factor is you do see more people saying, "Hey, look, I can't just read whatever's in my feed." You know, I've gotta, I've gotta, I really have to take an active role in figuring out what I'm getting and where that information is and you know, where it comes from. And and the nice thing is you look in the moments where the world seems the hardest to understand, take the beginning of the pandemic as an under, as a example, what you see is the, the major news sources and the, um, and the, you know, the places with the longest track records of was where everybody went. And so it shows you where people go when they're really, really looking for, you know, looking really, really confident they need something and they need to count on it. David, what is a trend that you're seeing um, that is most exciting to you, a, a new trend that you're seeing in media? Like I said, the, I, I think the fact that people are trying to seek out particularly news and information content from the place that it's made, you know, we believe that the best experience that the Times offers is when you get the full power of our editorial judgment. Um, and that happens in our own environment. And I think that's super exciting. And it's not just hard news. You know, the, um, you know, nowadays, the New York Times, you can, you know, you can get Wordle, you can get uh, recipes, you can get um, news and information in a hard news sense, you can get culture and lifestyle, and all of that comes from here, and we can connect those dots for you together. And the idea that more people are doing that, and which is why our business is growing, um, is really exciting. David, I don't know if you grew up in New York, but I did. Uh, I grew up in Brooklyn, and um, you know, like in the 1990s, you'd get these like you know, these, um, these solicitation calls from the New York Times, do you want to buy, it was always like a really deep New York accent, you want to buy a subscription to the New York Times for $52 a year, 
And like, let's say I said no, or why would I want to do that? How would you respond to it? The, you know, the thing we do, our, our current strategy, I won't give you the, the sales pitch, but the, the, the current strategy that we, we stated uh, about a year ago is that we're trying to build the essential subscription. Um, what that means to us is the, um, is that we, you know, we, we basically cover, we have an, an offering for all of your passion points that news and information in the news and information space. So you want quality information that helps you, you know, everything from sports with the athletic, um, which we bought about a year ago, um, recommendations on what to buy from Wirecutter, um, games product, we have spelling bee and um, crosswords and Wordle, um, uh, through to um, our, you know, news, all of that you can get with our one all access bundle. David, no one of the things you do is mergers and acquisitions at the times. And is there anything out there that you can tell us that you're looking for, that you're you know excited about, that you're thinking about acquiring, and you probably won't be able to tell us that. But like, you know, what is on your mind in terms of categories of things that you are actively pursuing? Well, although we had a fairly acquisitive year last year with the acquisition of the athletic and and Wordle, um, they were still, you know, it's it's still a opportunistic thing for us. Um, the thing that we, back to what I said a second ago, the thing we like to do is, um, or we believe we need to do, is provide the essential subscription for anything in news and information that are people's, you know, deep passion points. And so if you can think of, we'll look for anything in that space that lets us, you know, incrementally add to our offering. But, you know, it's more about taking that offer that we have now and getting more people, you know, it's really been a about a year, little more push for us to sell that as one single offering and to say the New York Times is not is all of these things together and that's how it's best consumed. Um, and so we're really just trying to grow that. David, what would you respond to somebody who would say that the the New York Times leans to the left politically? You know, how how would you how would you respond to that? Yeah, I mean, look, I think the um, I think that as soon as you try to plot us in a political sense, you've missed what news is about, right? You know, our thing is, is we, we seek the truth and help people understand the world. And we're going to do that. And, you know, I don't want to speak for the newsroom and I don't make the editorial. And there's still very much a, a separation um, between the business side and the news side. Um, but the passionately, um, we, we're looking to tell the stories and tell the news as, as it happens or wherever the facts leave. And we'll tell that whether it fits a, any particular narrative or not. Yeah, you know, I think sometimes, you know, I see a lot of, of people, you know, I, I try to always remain centered politically um, myself, but I see people in the Jewish community who are upset at the New York Times because of what they deem you know, the anti-Israel bias in the New York Times or anti-Orthodox bias in the New York Times. Like, how would you respond to that? You know, like what, what, what kind of response would you give to them to try to put the New York Times in the middle on it? Yeah, first of all, I think um, not having a uh, political agenda or bias is not the same as being in the middle. So um, it's like I said, as soon as you try to plot us in a political sense, you, you, you're, you're going to tear yourself up in knots, right? Like, because you're going to find things that corroborate your feeling and things that don't. And, and that's because um, that's not the spectrum that we're, we're looking at, um, you know, that's, it doesn't factor into how anything gets put together. One thing that is true is, you know, look, we're, we provide 
news and information for a general interest audience. And so um, uh, there's always some topic that any every person disagrees with the New York Times about, um, and even those of us who work there, and that's perfectly fine. You know, it's a, you know, we're covering everything and we're trying to cover everything as, you know, as close to the truth as we can. Um, you know, it's worth also separating and, and it's hard to do for the, some of the reasons you mentioned about like how other news sources sometimes do it. There's a difference between opinion and news and lots of times, um, you know, opinion coverage captures a big part of people's, you know, um, uh, mind space. Um, and even in, within opinion, you know, we try, we have our own editorial board, but a lot of what we publish are a wide range of guest essays. And we try to make sure that, you know, we're covering a, a, a large span of, of viewpoints on, on any particular topic. David, what has been the biggest challenge in your career? How did you deal with that challenge? And what could we all learn from it? I mean, like, I mean, the biggest challenge, look, I worked at Pinterest, right? When I entered the industry, um, that concept didn't exist, right? I didn't have a cell phone um, when I first started. Um, and so just, you know, keeping up with digital and the, um, and really the incredible volumes of data that we now all have um, and how you do that. And still, I still believe that marketing is about um, creating emotional connections between products and people giving people the why that they should buy things. And that often is not here. It's often here. Well, I guess you can't see me on the Zoom, but my heart. Um, um, and so yet there's a ton of data that's really, really helpful and can help unlock, you know, marketing growth. And so, or marketing driven growth. And so the question of kind of how you do both the heart and the science um, and keep the, you know, I think, I think we, we, over my career, it started with this belief in the power of the creative. And then for a while, we were very much in this performance, performance, performance. And I think we're now in a space where people realize you need a bit of both, which is even harder to do than either of the others. And so that's just been very hard. Um, and I think that if I were, uh, you know, starting my career, the understanding how you both be very adept and uh, with, with data and how to action it, but also continue to build your ability to inspire creativity um, and be able to do both. Awesome. Last question for me for a quick fire round, which is what does being Jewish mean to you and how does that play a part in your life if it does at all? And everyone answers this question differently. Feel free and comfortable to answer in any which way. Yeah. Um, well, you, you asked if I grew up in New York. I grew up in Baltimore, actually, uh, Baltimore City. Um, and uh, um, for me, um, you know, it was always about community and family. Um, and um, and really my connection to them and, and having moments to connect even deeper with community and family. Um, and so that's what it means to me. Awesome. Okay, quick fire round. Favorite movie of all time. These are one word answers. Uh, Spinal Tap. Favorite musician. Uh, you know, I have two young, I have two uh, young now approaching teenage daughters. So I'm going to say, uh, um, and I'm a marketer. So I just admire Taylor Swift and what she accomplishes. Me too. Favorite place to vacation? Uh, my favorite vacation I went was Patagonia. Favorite app, most frequented app on your phone? Most frequented app on my phone. Um, uh, besides opening Wordle on a browser, <laughs> we'll say Strava, the sports, uh, the, the running app. Favorite Jewish food? 
Um, we just got a, uh, uh, a shipment from our temple of, uh, of um, Hamantaschen, so that's on the brain at the moment. <laughs> Favorite Jewish holiday? Hanukkah. Favorite section of the New York Times? Wow, that's a hard one, but uh, I'll say New York Times cooking. And last one, what is one word you associate with Jewish? Uh, family. David, thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to end our podcast, but thank you for joining us for the schmooze today. And uh, we're going to take questions from everyone else, but thank you so much.